0: Uh, I was the, you know, the twenty one year old with a house and all this kind of stuff, and was really uh, on a very upward career path. And uh, one time, uh, I was attending a church, and uh, they were having—I can't remember what it was, but it was like either a play or a potluck, something like that. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I never invite anybody from my office to church. I'm going to go invite them to church. But before I did that, I thought I better check with the broker. Because this is her office and I, you know, I wouldn't want to be like doing something subversive around her. And so, you know, I scheduled a meeting with her and and I said, you know, hey, this is what's happening. And I was just wondering, would you mind if I either put some flyers up or maybe went around to some of the offices? Because if you know anything about a real estate office, you have the broker who owns the office or runs the office. Then you have agent offices all around and either these little cubicles or whatever. And my job was I serviced the agents but they voluntarily came to me. They didn't have to come to me if they didn't want to. But if they wanted me to help them, they voluntarily did. Well, I was pretty well liked uh, in the office. So I was, I mean, that's part of why I was making a lot of money is I was really doing most of the concierge services for those agents. And when I met with her and I said, hey, I'd really like to invite people to this church event that's happening. Would it be okay with you? Uh, she looked at me and she said, you can. You can. But if you do, you might lose some of the agents who use you for services. And you might not get invited to some of the social gatherings where a lot of the networking takes place. Because, you know, Christianity is very taboo in the workplace. It's one of those don't ask, don't tell. So if you're going to come out with this, I mean, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to really identify yourself with this and start inviting people to your church, just understand that you might lose some income. You might lose some reputation. You might lose some respect. You might not get invited to go out and network with some of these people. You might, some of these agents might not bring you along on some of these things because all of a sudden you've become, uh, you know, kind of an unpredictable liability. And she was very nice about it. And I, I remember the thought that came to me is, oh, oh, okay. I should be afraid of inviting people to church. Uh, she, she, she scared me. Uh, she, okay, all right, okay, yeah. And I didn't. I, I remember, I, I mean, I, I took it hook, line, and sinker when I was that young and, and that fearful. And so I just decided, you know what? Uh, you know, better, better not to ruffle any feathers. And my first point this morning, we'll come right out with it, is the most powerful fear is the fear of being abandoned, rejected, or ostracized. I have seen what you would call grown, confident, they're the king of the world, they can beat everybody up kind of men and then they schedule a private meeting with me and they're almost in tears, not because somebody beat them up, not because somebody did something better than them, but because somebody is ostracizing them, a family member, a friend, a customer, whatever, and they just get all hung up over it. I don't like being rejected. I don't like being rebanded. The strongest of us, I've seen them melt. And so for me, I, just in my experience, as limited as it's been, the most powerful fear is the fear of being ostracized, the fear of being rejected and criticized uh, by leaders of a people group you want to be in. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 12, 5, verses 12 to 16, we're going to talk about how the apostles show us how to overcome and break the barrier of fear in our lives beginning in verse 12 the apostles it says that the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in solomon's columnade. that was a part of the old jewish temple where people would gather and teach and talk it was kind of the social and relational part of the temple this isn't where they're bouncing and worship this isn't where they're bringing their lambs this is a social uh, and discussionary side of the temple Verse 13 says, no one else dared join them. They were afraid of the Jewish rulers. So no one else dared join them. But what? Even though they were highly regarded by the people. The people regarded them highly, but they were too afraid to join. Verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The church is growing despite the intense opposition of the culture. Isn't that good news today? (laughs) Verse 15, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by demonic spirits, and all of them were healed. Here's here's a funny thing that that I immediately noticed about this. You know, you don't get in trouble if your faith is private. You don't get in trouble as long as it all stays tucked away in here. You don't get in trouble if you say, you know what, I need Jesus, but I'm not sure you need Jesus. You know, you don't get in trouble if you say, you know what, I want to do this good thing, but I'm going to leave Jesus's name out of it. What was happening is that the apostles were not just doing these things. They were doing these things in the name of Jesus. And of course, the majority of most of the Christians I've ever met or will come in contact with will never have a public faith. It's easy to have it in here. It's where we're supposed to have it. Why, you might ask? Because just like I was in the opening story, we can become very afraid once people find rejectable things about us. And a lot of times, our Christian faith can be a very rejectable thing. Now, let me help you here. Let me show you what they're rejecting. There are four qualities of the early church that you see here in Acts chapter 5. Let's look at it real closely. First of all, people are being loved. People are being loved. Instead of seeing alcoholic Jim, they see a brother and sister in Christ. Instead of seeing, you know, a, a homosexual, instead of seeing a drug addict, instead of seeing a pride addict, instead of seeing some greedy tax collector, instead of seeing some, you know, a cripple, Instead of seeing people, how the world might label them and reject them and pick them apart, they began to see all people as people that God wants to love, as people that God wants to heal, as people that God wants to fill with his spirit. If you are human and you are breathing, they sought you out and they went to you. The deadbeat dads, the single moms, everybody, they went and they found them and they loved them. That's why they were so highly regarded by the people because they began to realize, hey, these people are really living out the tenets of our faith. Look at them. They're not afraid to go to these people even though high society is probably going to reject them for it. They didn't care. So the first part of the early church was that people are being loved. Second, people are being filled from the Holy Spirit. They're not just taking from Christ. They're turning around and following him. It's a capital offense at this point. They're receiving him. They're not just like, oh, heal me, God, heal me, God, heal me, God. Okay, great. I'm so glad you healed me. Now let's just get back to the way things were. And I come across people like that, you know? I want something from God, and then once I get it, I'm just going to go back to the way things were. Whereas every time God does something, the point is, is inner transformation That we walk away not just the problem fixed, but more enlightened, more our eyes are open, more receiving of what God's love is and what he wants to do in our lives. Third, people are being healed. In the kingdom of God, no one will be sick. People who are in God's kingdom, whether it's now or later, your destiny is to never be sick. And so now, as a demonstration of that, the apostles are beginning to heal people and say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There is no sickness. There is no death. There is no judgment for sin. There is no one of the, you need to understand, this is what we're going to be living in. So they bring a little bit of heaven on earth and they begin healing people. Finally, number four, people are being delivered. What the apostles are saying is, the spiritual realm is not safe. Not every spirit is good, no matter what the package comes in. You know, the great big false teaching of their day, and perhaps ours, is that, well, if you're spiritual, that's good. Spirituality is good. If you connect with the spiritual realm, that's good. But the fact is just that, just as you would not open your door to any person who knocks on the door, nor should you open your soul to any spirit who knocks on it but these people did. They did not realize the influences they were opening up to. Oh yeah, sure, they may have given them a little gift in the beginning, but all of a sudden they were beginning to control more and more and more of their lives and they're coming to the apostles and they're saying, you know what? I got something spiritual going on with me and I can't shake it. I can't get rid of it. It was fun at first. Now I want it to leave and it won't. What do I do? And The apostles are saying, come here. We have someone who can help you with that. His name is Jesus. Isn't he the dead guy that they crucified a few weeks ago? Yeah. He's alive. Just let him deal with your spiritual problems for you. Okay. Bam. They're being delivered, healed, saved, and loved. And I'll tell you this right now. I pray to God every day. That's what Life Point Church is. A place that loves people. A place to get filled with the Spirit. A place to be healed by the Spirit of God. A place to be delivered from the spiritual realm that tries to torment us. If that's not what this is, I accept the rebuke. And if it is, it's because of what these apostles did right here in Acts chapter 5. Now, you might be saying, you know, Tom, who would be against that? Who's against love Who's against healing? Who's against deliverance? Who's against salvation? I mean, mean, come on, Tom. Who would be against this? Why is this such a threat to the world, right? It's a threat to the world, not because people are being loved, healed, saved, or delivered. Why? Because it's being done in the name of what they think is a dead man, a criminal. Because it's being done in the name of Jesus that's what's ruffling all the feathers. Because for every action, you have a reaction. For every healing comes hatred. For every deliverance comes debate. For every conversion comes criticism. And up comes the barrier of fear. Now here's where the story gets juicy. In verse 17, then the high priest... This is the Jewish high priest. And all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were what? Filled with what? Jealousy. I tell you, under a lot of sins is jealousy. Under greed is jealousy. Under adultery is jealousy. Under coveting is jealousy. Under lying often is jealousy. Jealousy drives and motivates so much evil, so much negative now I often try to ask myself at least once or twice a week, who am I jealous of and what am I jealous of? It probably took me two years to get over the fact that I was jealous that Mark had a red Mustang and I didn't. <laughs> Little did I realize it go? Yeah. <laughs> Little did I realize that Mark's red Mustang could not take me in California where I really wanted to go. Up in the mountains and in places that Mustangs shouldn't be the car, that is. (laughs) And so they're jealous. In verse 18, they arrest the apostles. They put them in the public jail. And uh, what they do is they exhibit control. Listen to me. Fear is all about power and control. When you make somebody afraid of you, You're exerting power and control. That's what it's about. Fear is all about power and control. The ability to get you to do what somebody else wants you to do. Something else wants you to do. Some spirit wants you to do. That's what it is. So they're saying to the apostles, well, you didn't get permission. We didn't vote on this. We didn't agree to it. Oh, it says here in the manual, you got to run it by the high priest. You know, that guy with the big hat over there, you didn't do any of that. You no, know, for religious people, it's not about helping people. It's about maintaining control. That's what this whole thing that the early church is going up against. It's not that they cared about these people. They, they looked at the homeless and thought, man, I wish they'd just not be in our town. You know, They'd look at the weird people and they'd say, man, I just wish they didn't live in our neighborhood. They'd look at all these people and say, man, I wish they would just go away and we could just find our own little normal clique and we could just be like this. And anybody else who's not like us, we just don't want you, please go away. They're trying to maintain control. Their version of Judaism, their view of God, their teachings, they're the pastor that's got it all together. And now you've got these upstart fishermen who come and start preaching Jesus and they're healing and they're delivering and they get jealous because the people are noticing it. Wow, that's a pretty cool thing they got going on over there. We're thinking of going to their thing and not yours and they get jealous. And you know what they always have been? When Jesus was on earth, uh, he's going around and he's helping people. What's your needs? How can I love you? Are you hungry? All right, I'll feed you. Are are you oppressed? Okay, let's deliver you. Jesus is going, and and what do the religious leaders do? They come up and they say, Jesus, stop talking to them. We want you to talk to us. We're the more important people. Just kind of leave them to the dregs of the earth. We want you to come and talk to us. Okay, well, what do you want to talk about? Well, we would like to talk about tithing. Now, Jesus, do you think we should tithe from our spice rack or not? Uh, what do you think we should do on Saturday? You know, I was thinking about this. You really shouldn't pluck a grain on Saturday. And Jesus is going, what? People are dying. People are depressed. People are sad. They're starving. They can't eat. And you're worried about whether you should tithe on your spice rack or not. You're worried about whether you should pluck a grain of, who, where did you come from? That's what Jesus is saying. You totally missed God. Because you're arguing over all of these rules that are meant to bring control and fear. And that's exactly what they did. What did they do when Jesus plucked the grain? They come yell at him. Try to publicly embarrass him. What do they do when Jesus heals on the Sabbath? They, 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 they how dare you break the law of Moses. He is the law of Moses. How dare you break the law of Moses? Point number two. When you commit your life to obeying God, fear goes. There's something empowering. There's something strengthening. When you say, you know what? I am, I'm just, I'm just going to obey God. One time when I was in Vancouver on a mission trip, we were handing out stuff. We had one one guy came up and he looked right at me. He said, "Man, how could you go around preaching such hate?" I just looked dead at him. I said, "Man, I'm not preaching hate. You've watched too many movies, too many newscasts, too many you've read too many op-eds. I'm not sure what you think we're about, but we are not about hate. We're down here giving hot dogs and hot cocoa to hookers. That's hate? You know? We're out here, you know, praying with people, loving with people. Touching the sick people, praying for them. That's hate. I don't know what movie you saw, but I mean, I'm sorry. We're not about hate. We're about love. Acts chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. It says, Go stand in the temple courts and tell people about this new life. One time I remember when I was in high school, I was getting drunk with a bunch of my friends. And we're all sitting, we're on, the, in, in, when the country I lived in, you hung out on the roof. It was a big flat cement area and you'd, you'd, you'd kind of sit down, you'd have your QE in one hand, that's a 40-ouncer for some of you who don't know who that is. And, and you, you'd just kind of sit there and just, you know, do the 40-ounce curl all night. And I remember one time, one of my friends did, did something that was kind of weird. I remember, you know, he wasn't drinking and he was just kind of like lost in thought and I wrote down what he said. He he said, "Man, I've got to quit living like this and start obeying God." And we're all like, "What? You know, it's the stupidest thing we ever heard." He's like, "Yeah, I, I got, I got I quit drinking like that. I got, I got, I got, I got to do something with my life." And I, I looked at him. And I said, "I didn't even know you believed in God." And he looks at me. He goes, "Look around, stupid. You think all this just happened?" You think that all this is just some random collision of atoms? No, there's a design. You don't get intelligence from non-intelligence. And I'm telling you right now, there's a God out there, and I don't think this is the way he wants me to live my life. He says, ever since I started doing this, I've had nothing but fear because I know I'm not on the path that God wants me. He said, that's it. I'm sick of being afraid. And I remember he just kind of trotty chopped his beer bottle, and he got up and walked off the roof. The other three of us, we looked at each other and went, wow, that was deep. (laughs) When you commit to your life to obeying God, the fear begins to go. And uh, why were they in prison? They were in prison for talking about Jesus. So he jails he he jailbreaks them. <laughs> this is funny. The, the Bible is funny by the way. Most people don't get the humor. I really get the humor. Why are they in prison? Once again. For preaching about who? Jesus. So an angel comes, jailbreaks them, and what does the angel tell them to do? Go out to the temple and what? Talk about Jesus. You know? It's kind of like, okay, I stuck my finger in the electrical socket and I got electrocuted. Oh, I'd like you to do that again, you know? The angel actually, what just got them arrested, he breaks them from jail. But instead of saying, hey, go hide in the hills for a little while. Or, hey, you better stay low. Or, hey, let's get you over to Samaria. Or, hey, let's get you out to Rome. You know, let's, let's, let, he says, hey, I want you to go back and do the same thing you just got arrested for. Why? Because God did not want them to be afraid. He did not want them to see the Jewish rulers as having power when God had more power. If God was telling them to do it, that was a greater thing to be afraid of than anything those Jewish rulers could do. And they were about to do it. Verse 21, and when they heard this, They did it. Now, you may say, how could they do that? It's a scary thing to go back out and do what you just got arrested for. You know how they did it? Because they had the Holy Spirit in here. They'd begun to live a life of obeying God, and fear began to melt. Now, that's what they were called to do. I'm not saying every one of us is necessarily called to go out to that marketplace, but you'll have to find this morning what your more personal application may be. Because just like the video, sooner or later, you're just going to have to decide the kind of follower of God you want to be. One that cuts corners and is on the shady side of ethics, or one that just says, you know what, I'm just going to obey God and not allow this world to cause me to fear in following Him. Amen? So, Acts chapter 5, verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Basically, what they thought was going to happen happens. They said, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. they were. They were guilty of his blood. They did hand him over. This is what happens when you get ultra-religious. You begin, become blinded to your own atrocities. They did hand him over to be killed. If they were, they were guilty of his blood. Now, who they think he is is probably another matter. But they were guilty of his blood. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're, in other words, thinking that they're not. And Peter stood up and said something powerful. He said, we must... Obey God rather than human beings. When questioned, they said one of the most powerful sentences in the Bible We must obey God rather than men. We're more afraid of God, not in a scary fear, but in a respectful fear. We fear God more than we fear the Jewish rulers. We're hungrier for what God has to offer as a leader than what you're offering. Better than a life of ease. Better than a life of comfort. Better than a life of acceptance, worldly acceptance. They said, we want to be a part of Christ's church where all people are loved. Where all people are saved. Where all people are healed, eventually. And where all people are delivered from the demonic spirits that torment them, Mr. High Priest, we understand the consequences, but we will not change our answer. We must obey God over man. Now, before I go to the last point, point number four, I want to digress for just a moment. Because this this verse has been twisted. The motto for spiritual abuse is God told me to do this. I have met with so many people, people who were sexually abused, people verbally abused, uh, people who were physically abused, uh, people who were spiritually abused, quite frankly, by other churches. And there's always one line that comes with it. The abuser said, God told me to do this. God told me to do this. Every now and then, you know, the person doing it may have been an atheist or whatever. But but a lot of times I hear that. The motto for spiritual abuse is God is telling me to do this. And here's the thing I want to submit to you. First of all, Peter didn't say this on his own. The whole church got together and realized it was more important to preach the tenets of the church than to worry about the Jewish reaction. Very reasonable thing, given that they had just seen the risen Jesus. Second of all, I don't really listen to people who say, God told me to do this or do that. I don't like it. When people come and say, I felt like I had a word from the Lord. I checked it with my mentor. I checked it with a few other spiritual leaders. I checked it with the Bible. I checked it with other of these things. And then they tell me, then I listen. Then I'm more open. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says, anybody who receives a word from the Lord should allow it to be tested by leaders. And leaders should test it and weigh it against the word of God. And if it doesn't pass those two tests, I don't really care what you say. It's got to pass those tests. Because I'm the one who's in the office with the person who someone told them to that and it was so opposite of God, they used it as manipulation, coercion, and fear. In fact, some meetings I can't even take anymore, because if the person's there, I don't know if I'll restrain myself. I've had instances where I've had other pastors take meetings because I said, "You know what? I can't take this meeting." Why, Pastor Tom? I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to take him back and beat the snot out of him. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm just kidding. You know, some of you are like, "Man, I'm never going to have a meeting with Tom." <laughs> but I, I want to tell you how how awful it is to on your own manipulate something and say, well, God God told me to do this, so I'm doing it. Really? Does the community of faith agree with that? Does the book of faith agree with that? Is this something that, you know, or is this you? Because if it's you and you're wrong, you're going to live probably with the worst punishment you could. You know what it is? delusion. And I pray every day of my life, I don't have that. So point number four, be very sensitive to people who say that. However, in Peter's case, uh, he was very much justified in saying that. Point number five, here's my main point. Breaking the fear barrier includes allowing God to have a higher place in your life than people. His will becomes more important than people's will. His love becomes more important than people's love. His mission becomes more important than people's missions. Even your own. We all have our kingdoms we're building. I get that. But our kingdoms are subservient to God's. That's what Peter's saying here. Allowing people to fail you and then be forgiven. Forgiveness is very freeing. Allowing forgiveness to result in freedom and allowing freedom to fill you with God's spirit to love. To share Christ, to heal, and to overcome the enemy's taunts and threats. Well, let's finish the story. So the only non-jealous leader finally stands up, Gamaliel, and he says, he uses Peter's formula. He places God's viewpoint above the people's, and he says, therefore, in Acts five thirty eight to 40 in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose is of human origin... It'll fail. Hey, look, if this is just some idea they made up, it's not going to last. We've had 10 or 12 of these kind of people come through before, and they just fade away. He says, but if this is of God, you'll find yourself opposing God. And this is interesting. Verse 40 says, his speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Legally, you were only allowed to flog. Flogging was they had a little whip uh, and they had nine bone fragments on the whip. And so when they whipped you, the bone fragment would dig in just a little bit into the skin of your back it would dig in, and then it would rip it out. So it was a back-ripping punishment. It wasn't so much the sting of the whip that hurt. It was when they, when they got it in there, the bone would lodge in, and then they'd yank it out, and your whole back would kind of come back a little bit, and they'd yank out chunks of your back. It would scar up horribly. Most died from infection in those days, from having a ripped-open back. So this is what they do. They decide that they're going to flog them. Now, legally in the Roman Empire, you could only flog somebody, whip somebody 40 times because they found after that most people died. So some of the religious leaders, they get together and they say, well, what if we miscount? I mean, 40 is a big number. And as you're whipping somebody, now, am I on 17 or 18? I can't really remember, but the law says that you cannot whip somebody more than 40 times. So they thought, you know what? Just in case somebody miscounts, we're going to make the number 39. So that's where they get flogging as 39 lashes because the Jewish leaders thought, boy, you know, if we miscount, then we wouldn't want to go over 40 and break the law. Do you see how ridiculous that is? They could care less that they're destroying a man's back. They're destroying a man's life. They care more that they don't miscount when they're whipping him. This is how weird religion is. It doesn't bother you that you're beating someone. It bothers you. You might miscount. You're destroying something, but was it 40? (laughs) Because you see, that's really the issue. With religion, it's about fear and rules and power. With relationship with Jesus, it's about loving people. about saving people. It's about healing people. It's about seeing them set free from an enemy that I can assure you is very real and exists so I encourage you this morning surrender your kingdom surrender your comfort or ease but most important surrender your fear and overcome the fear by our ear By allowing God to be bigger in your life than any one of us or anybody else on this planet. You will never regret that decision. I promise you.